0: Well, good morning. Uh, just follow away what you saw a few moments ago because we're in a series right now. We're synced up with Kids World. This is the last weekend of our series called Lifeline. It's all about hope, believing that something good can come out of something bad. So if you have a kid who's in Kids World or even in, in, uh, in junior high, We're on the same scripture this weekend. Then today's talk, in just a few moments, I'll be talking to you about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and our ability to impact others with the life-changing truth of Jesus. But before we get there, I'd like to just talk about a couple things that are coming up here at New Spring. One is Friday evening, as you saw just a few moments ago, it's a Kids World FX family experience. And so, for those of you who have kids in Kids' World or grandkids in Kids' World, it's your opportunity Friday night at 7 o'clock to come get a taste of what Kids' World is like. And they'll also be rolling out the big idea for May, which we won't be covering in here. We're starting a brand new series called It's a Parent. So, it's the first time I've done a series on parenting that I can ever remember. It is the most challenging topic that I ever deal with. And it probably gets me, you know, probably gets me feeling, you know, guilty i hate to use the term but just as a parent you know i feel like of all the struggles i have being a parent's toughest thing that i do and so for all of you who are parents you're going to love this series i I, it's kind of tongue-in-cheek the the title it's a parent because you know if you're a parent there's nothing apparent if you're a parent so uh, that starts this next week four weeks long and i know that some of you will say well mark i don't have kids at home but it could be that you have grandkids or chances are if you're single and you you know, you may have kids someday, and you have a chance to get on the ground floor. You may just love somebody that's struggling with with parenting. So this is going to be awesome. Even, hey, here's the deal: you're going to learn a lot about your relationship with God in this series. It's a parent. It's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of great truths. It starts next weekend. So you, many of us need it, and if you don't feel like you need it, you probably will need it someday. Or chances are, you can help somebody who does need it. And that starts next weekend. Um, And then on top of that, too, uh, we're having a seminar this Friday called Blended. For those of you who have questions about a blended family and how it works and how it's supposed to work, we have a a seminar this, this Friday and Saturday. In fact, you can sign up for it online right up to the day before the event. And so I just want to let you know about that. That's a great opportunity uh, those of you who are putting together a blended family and making all that work together, you guys are my heroes. That is one of life's great challenges, but there are also wonderful opportunities there. And so that all, that all takes place this Friday night and Saturday at New Spring. Now for something really big. Um, one of my favorite people in the world is a leader on our team. He does a tremendous job. He and his wife are, both are just doing great work in the high school ministry. And Mike Edens has got some big news for all of you in all five of our services today, this week. Uh, so, we can. so I'm going to ask Mike to come on stage and share the big news. Would you welcome Mike Edens, our high school pastor.
1: Thank you. Well, we wanted to just take a minute this morning and uh, talk to you two people in the room. If you're a high schooler, uh, we want to tell you about an awesome trip coming up this summer. And we know summer can just kind of be a time where you're f- trying to find things to do. And so we're putting together a four-day trip to Kansas City. This is kind of our version of camp. And uh, we're going to be staying in the Hyatt Place Hotel. We rented a convention center at the Overland Park Convention Center, a spot there. We're going to be having worship and live messages. And then during the day, each of the four days, we're going to one day like Schlitterbahn Water Park and then Oceans of Fun one day, Worlds of Fun another day. Each day is just going to be an awesome time just to hang out with your friends and Um, make new relationships, and then the second person I want to talk to is parents. If you're a parent, what I'm saying is I'm giving you a chance to get rid of your high schooler for four days this summer for a pretty low cost, and so you really want to check it out. Um, We're just super pumped. We know it's going to be a really God-encountering trip as well as a total blast, and so uh, we want to take some time. There's actually a booth out here in the lobby. Um, This week, if you go by that booth, you can get a code, that will give you $20 off if you register this week. And so kind of a one-time deal, 20 bucks off the price right now. Um, And I'll be out there, my wife will be out there, answer any questions you have. Um, We'd love to talk with you. Probably the biggest, uh, most exciting thing I think about this trip is we're actually kidnapping Pastor Mark for the week, and he's coming with us to speak at all of the evening services (laughs) each night. And so we're really, really pumped about that, and we know that God is really going to do some awesome stuff. And and uh, so we, we'd love to invite you. We'd love to invite you, if you're a high schooler, if you're a parent, to kick your kid out of the house and send him with us for four days. That's awesome, Mike. You yeah. got a
0: video, right? We have a video. We're going to play it real quick. All Thank right. you. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. I told my wife, it looks like a trip you would win, you know, so I can't wait for that myself. Hey, I know it's cloudy and rainy out there today. And it's one of those gray days where it's kind of hard for us to get awake. But I'd like for us to just think about something from the very beginning of our talk. I want to go back to the life of Jesus. If you've been part of our series uh, that we've been synced up with Kids World for the last five weeks, you know that what we've been looking at is the last week pretty much of Jesus' life. And it's been all about hope, and it's about whatever happens, God, God is at work. God's got a bigger story. You know, whatever happens, God's in control of everything. Over and over, we've looked at the life of Jesus and how that God was in control. Today's talk is different from the first four in this regard. In the first four talks, Jesus was on the earth, whether it was Palm Sunday or Easter or the road to Emmaus or last week, Jonathan talked about the ascension. But in the first four talks, Jesus was on the earth. What makes today's talk different is that Jesus is gone by this time. He's already back in heaven. And the disciples now are going to continue on the work that Jesus began on the earth. So let's just roll back a little bit of the clock. And I'd like for you to look at three statements that had to blow the disciples' mind. There were three things that Jesus said. I, I tried to put myself in their place. And I'm thinking if I'm back in that time frame and I hear Jesus make these three statements, I. I'm not calling him into question. It's just that it's extraordinary. And what's cool about this is these three statements are still in effect today. And here is the first one. Let's look at the first one. This is from John chapter 16. Jesus said, in fact, it is best for you that I go away. Now, i got to tell you something. If Jesus was living in my world, I would have a hard time believing that. Really, wouldn't you? I mean, these guys, for three and a half years, they had lived with Jesus. Imagine, if you will, that Jesus lived in your town. Suppose he lived in Andover or Bel Air or Wichita or Salina or wherever you live. Wouldn't it be great to have Jesus live in your town where you could just go see him? Imagine though having Jesus live in your house. And every morning you get up and you have coffee and you have coffee with Jesus. And instead of hearing the Sermon on the Mount in church, you hear Jesus give the Sermon on the Mount over coffee in your living room. And you're watching him do all these extraordinary things day in, day out. You mean, he goes to work with you and, and sick people at work, he's just taking, touching them and they're being well. And, and you go to a funeral and then he just changes everything and sends everybody home, you know, excited because he raised a person back to life. Three years with Jesus and Jesus calls you into the living room and he sits down with you and he says, hey, listen, we need to talk about something. You know what? It's I need to go away and it's best for you. And you're saying, Lord, there's not a way in the world. It is best for me that you go away. It is impossible. Wouldn't you agree with that? I mean, after all, wouldn't it be great to have Jesus in our world today? I mean, if Jesus was in our world, let's just say he's in the Middle East or Asia or Africa or whatever, my guess is if we knew that Jesus was somewhere in our world today, we would do whatever it took to get there. We would take time off from work. We We would, you know, we would get another mortgage on the house if we need to, to finance the trip to get to where he was. And yet imagine... Jesus is saying to his disciples, and it's still in effect for you and me, Jesus is saying, it is best for you that I go away. How, think with me, how could it possibly be better for Jesus to go away? He answered that question several times for the disciples the night before his arrest, but especially in John chapter 14, verse 16. He said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. Now, I don't want to get into theology because I'm not a very good theologian. Well, one thing I would like to point out is that we do believe, Jonathan talked about this last week. We do believe, as Christ followers, and Christ followers have believed this from the first century, we believe that God is the Trinity. God is one God but three persons. And it's very hard for us to understand. And the reason for that is we are made in God's image, not God made in our image. So we don't really, you know, what do you compare God to? But He is one God, three persons. There have been some through the years who have said, hey, I got it figured out. He's only one person, but he manifested himself in different ways. He manifested himself as Father in the Old Testament. For 33 years, he manifested himself as Jesus. And today, he manifests himself as the Holy Spirit. He's just one God, just one person, but he just showed up in three different ways. This verse blows that completely out of the water because notice that you have all three members of the Trinity involved in a prayer. Jesus said, I will ask the Father. Now, if Jesus is the 33-year manifestation of God, who would he be talking to? So Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and he will send you another advocate. Notice the advocate there is capitalized. Some of you will have a translation that says comforter. Some of you will have other, other words there. The word advocate here, as Jonathan taught us last week, means one who was called alongside to help. He is the Holy Spirit. What I love, and and this is just something that's always very special to me about this verse, is the word another advocate. Jesus said, it is best for you that I go away because if I go away, I'm going to send you another. In the Greek language, there are two words for another. One word is heteros. You can guess what heteros means because we have words with that prefix today. Heteros means another of a different kind. But that's not the word for another here. It is the word alan, which means another of the same kind. So Jesus said to the disciples, look, it, I'm leaving you. It's best for you that I go away, but it's all right because I'm going to send you somebody who's just like me. And that person is the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing. Here's why it is better that Jesus would go away. Is that He said he will never leave you. Jesus was here for for 33 years, and then he had to go. And I don't have scriptures on this, but you can read this all in that John 14, 15, 16 range. Jesus said the reason why it's best for us to have the Holy Spirit is he doesn't just live with us. He lives in us. So it's not God living in your house. It's God living in you. See, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God moves into your life. That's why Jesus called it the spiritual birth. You're born of the Spirit. God's Spirit moves into your life. In fact, Scripture tells us that God has given us the down payment of his Holy Spirit. So, that's very important to me, that Jesus said, it's best for you that I go away. Now, I would like you to look at the second statement that Jesus said, that I, I... I think is one of the most extraordinary statements in the Bible. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works. Now, if I'm the disciples, I'm thinking there is no way in the world that could be the case. How could I do greater works than Jesus? I mean, for one thing, even if there was a period right here where Jesus said, whoever believes in me will do the same works, that would be extraordinary. But greater works, how can we do greater works? Well, you you need to know that greater there doesn't refer to greater in quality. It refers to greater in quantity. When Jesus came to our world, he deliberately limited himself to a body. And so he had to be in one place and one time. But when he left, the Holy Spirit came, and the Holy Spirit is not limited to anything. I love what Abraham Lincoln said when he left Springfield on his way to be inaugurated president of the United States. He said to the people of his hometown, and he would never see them alive again, he said to them, I commend you to the God who can both go with me and stay with you. That's the Holy Spirit. Lincoln knew that the Holy Spirit could go with him to Washington to help him be president, and he could stay with the people he loved in Springfield. So how is it that we do greater works? It's because, here's the thing, and I don't know, I mean, it's a rainy, cloudy day. I don't know what percentage of the New Spring Church we would be in this one of five services. But the thing about New Spring Church is that when you leave this place, you take God's Holy Spirit with you to many places. We take him to all the locales and locations that we visit. We take him to our various workplaces. And so instead of Jesus being limited to one body at one time, we as Christ followers, millions of us all over the world, are going all over the world doing the work of Christ. So first statement Jesus made, it's best for you that I go away. Had to amaze him, but he said, I'm going to send the comforter. The second thing, you're going to do greater works, but we now understand because the Holy Spirit is able to allow us to branch out and go to many places. And then finally, I love this statement from Jesus about the church. I will build my church, and the powers of hell will not conquer it. You should, you should understand that a church is not a building. You know, every once in a while someone will say, Mark, I'm going to go to Europe, and I'm going to see the great churches. No, they're going to see buildings. And if you happen to pass New Spring Building on Thursday afternoon, you can't say I'm passing the church. You're passing the building. You are the church. People are the church. A church is a group of people who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and have come together to do God's work. You are the church, not the building. So Jesus said, I will build my church and the powers of hell. Many of us have an old translation that says the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Many times through the years, theologians have struggled to to know what that expression means, the gates of hell cannot stop the church. But I think it's pretty simple. You know, gates, what are gates? Well, you, know, you know what a gated community is meant for. So evidently, hell is a gated community. Gates are meant to keep people out or to keep people in. And so for Jesus to say that the gates of hell could not prevail, the powers of hell could not prevail against the church, here's what I draw from that. I draw, and by the way, hell is a real place. Jesus talked more about it than anybody else. I draw that Jesus empowered the church to actually be able to reach past the gates of hell and touch people who would have otherwise been there and given them the good news of Jesus Christ that, that gets them out of that place. And I don't mean that brings people out of hell, but that keeps people from going there who would have gone there. So those are the three statements that Jesus made that I find huge and tremendous. Now, last week we saw that he ascended back into heaven and he left the disciples with this instru- These instructions. He said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift. Who's the gift? The gift's the Holy Spirit. And then he said, you will receive power when the Spirit comes on you. And let me stop for a moment, because some people, when we start talking about the Holy Spirit, they get a little concerned because they've been in circumstances and situations where people got a little crazy talking about the Holy Spirit. And I don't want to get into a discussion here, argument, because many Christians have many different ideas about what happens with the Holy Spirit. But let's just go with the Bible. What is the primary evidence of the Holy Spirit of God in your life? Let's listen to Jesus. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be witnesses. That is the primary evidence of God's Holy Spirit in your life, is God empowers you to share the good news about Jesus Christ. And we see that on the day of Pentecost. There are millions of people who are part of the church today, all over the world. There are people in underground churches in China and in Arab countries. Who knows how many true Christ followers there are. Nobody knows, but millions. But there was actually a time when there were only 120 in the church. When Jesus left, he left the 120 and he said, stay here until you're, until you receive power. Now, I don't know who was in the 120. I know the 11 disciples were there. Jesus' mother Mary was there. Maybe Mary Magdalene, the hooker who had accepted Christ. I mean, who knows who was in that 120, but they were just staying there waiting. They didn't know what they were waiting for. But there came a feast day called Pentecost. It was on a Sunday morning. And it's interesting to me that the feast day happens to celebrate harvest. And it just happened that God picked that day, the day of Pentecost, to infuse those 120, with the special power that they needed to communicate the message. Now, here's what made all the sense in the world: there were a lot of people from Jewish people or people of Jewish faith from all over the world who were already there because of Passover, who would have stayed over because of Pentecost. People from all kinds of nationalities. People who, if they heard the good news about Jesus, they wouldn't just stay in Jerusalem. They would go back to Africa. They would go back to other parts of Asia. They would take the good news of Jesus. So God strategically picked this day of Pentecost to send the Holy Spirit, and He did so in dramatic fashion. They heard the sound of wind. There were some other manifestations, but primarily what happened was suddenly these 120 people, most of whom we were not highly educated people who probably were not polylingual, most of these people who just were ordinary people suddenly were able to speak, and they were able to speak in languages that they had not learned before. It was kind of the opposite of what happened back at Babel in Genesis. Why was that important? Because there were people from all over the world. In fact, read about this with me. The Bible says in Acts 2.5, at that time there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running And they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. Verse 11, we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. See, the people who heard understood what was being said. They understood the message of Jesus. That was the whole point. (laughs) If you were to open your Bible to Acts 2... And you can do this when you go home. But if you were to open your Bible to Acts 2, you might read something like this as an inscription above the chapter Peter's sermon at Pentecost. I grew up in church, I studied theology. We we all talk about Acts 2 as Peter's Pentecost sermon. But, guys, let me just tell you what I think, and I can't prove this, but it sure looks like this to me from the text. I don't think Peter meant to preach a sermon. See the enemies of Jesus, who didn't like Jesus at all in the first place. They thought they had finished him off when they crucified him, and they were—they they thought he was all, all finished. And all of a sudden, boom! The whole town is coming together. All of Jerusalem is coming together, and it's all about Jesus. And so they see the disciples, and they see everything going on, and they say, "You know what? We know what's going on. These guys are drunk." And honestly, folks, I think all Peter intended to do—I think all he intended to do was just explain. Excuse me, we're not drunk. He just wanted to give an explanation. But are you with me? Think with me for a moment. When Peter began to speak, and he, and he spoke up because, after all, Jesus wasn't there anymore. If Peter thought if Jesus had been here, he'd have explained this, but Jesus wasn't there, so Peter said, okay, I'll speak up. When he began to speak, all of a sudden there was an energy inside of him that had never been there before. Suddenly there was an equipping that he did he couldn't. I mean, he just once he started talking, it just started pouring out. And when you read what he said in Acts chapter 2, it reads like Billy Graham has started preaching. And Peter was this ordinary guy. And, you know, I think there are those who probably looked at him and thought, what's Peter talking for? Isn't he the one who's always stepping in it? Isn't he the one who's always shooting off his mouth? But Peter just started preaching and talking. And when he got through, look at what happened in Acts chapter 2. 2, verse 41, those who believe what Peter said were baptized and add to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. Were 3,000 people ever converted when Jesus preached? I don't know, maybe so. But who knows, maybe this was the greatest number in one day that had ever been. Jesus had said, greater works will you do than these. Now, I don't want to talk about Peter anymore, and I don't want to talk about the day of Pentecost. I want to talk about you and me I want to talk about 2012, and I want to talk about New Spring Church. Because according to the Bible, you have the same Holy Spirit in you that Peter had on the day of Pentecost. Do you believe that today? It's not God living in your house. It is God living in you. Everywhere you go, God goes with you. If you have prayed to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he will drive with you. He'll be with you on the way home. You know, here's the thing. When you pray, you're not summoning God. When you don't pray, you're ignoring God because he is with you all the time. He is in you. In fact, the Bible says this in Titus chapter 3, verse 6, he generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior. Now, here's the whole point of today's talk. And and let me just say it to you in three pieces. Number one, everybody needs Jesus. Do you believe that today? Everybody needs Jesus. I need him. You need him. The people who've never heard about Jesus need, need Jesus. That person at work that you can't stand she needs Jesus. She doesn't need to change like you think she needs to change. She needs Jesus. That, that person in your family that just never seems to get it, he needs Jesus. That is who people need. Can we get that? It's like I mean, people don't need to turn over a new leaf. I mean, here's the deal. Every time I turn over a new leaf, I turn it back over again. That's my problem. Only Jesus gives me the power to be transformed. So everybody needs Jesus. Now here's where it starts getting personal. Your story of faith, your your faith journey will help somebody connect with Jesus. There is only one way to have a relationship with God and that is through what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. The blood that came out of his body and the fact that he arose from the grave, that is the only way that anybody has a relationship with God. But here's the cool thing. I don't know how many there are today, maybe a thousand. Although it's the same way of coming to faith, we all have a different journey. You have a different journey than I have. Some of us grew up in church, and we had to come through faith. We had to shake a lot of religion out of our hair before we got faith. Others of you came from a very secular background. It's like the lights came on at one time. We represent hundreds of different stories about how we came to faith, and your story is going to resonate with somebody that my story won't resonate with. You know, people the years, have called the church and says, "Anyway, Mark can talk to my dad, or Mark can talk." And I'm I'm always glad to do it if I can. But you know what? The people who are closest to you, you're strategically positioned to talk to them in ways that I can't talk. And you say, "Well, but Mark, man, I've had such a difficult life, and I've been a you know I, I was abused when I was a child, and and I just went through all these awful pain, and I so many bad relationships, and." man when i found when i came to jesus my life was just in ruins and how can I help anybody? Oh, my sister, do you realize you're strategically positioned to help people? You can help people, you can bring people to Jesus that nobody else could bring. You say, but Mark, my life, I just I made so many mistakes and I screwed up so many things and I broke so many relationships and I caused so many marriages to end and, and my kids won't even have anything to do with me because of what I used to be. But I, but I came to know Jesus. How could I help anybody? You just don't realize you could help more people than I could. Your story will connect somebody with Jesus. And you say, well, I don't know if I have it in me. Well, that's the third part. Anytime you share your story, you will not be alone. Why do you think I spent so much time talking about the Holy Spirit today? If you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God moves in, and what he will help you do more than anything else is tell about Jesus because the Holy Spirit is crazy about Jesus. The Holy Spirit loves people, and he wants people to get together with Jesus. And when you go out to share your story about your faith journey with people who need Jesus, God's Holy Spirit kicks in, and just like he helped Peter on the day of Pentecost, he will help you, he will give you words, and you'll be sharing your faith. You'll think, where did that come from? Or it could be that you'll stumble all over yourself and think, that went well, and that person will listen and be transformed. Why? Because that's what happens. Everybody needs Jesus. Your story will connect somebody with Jesus. In fact, let me go a step further. Your story in somebody's life, in your circle, in your sphere, your story is the only connect point that some people will ever have with Jesus in their entire life. And anytime you share your faith, you will not be alone. Well, hopefully I've gotten you to think about it. But just in case you're here and you're saying, I don't think I can do that, Mark. That's okay for you to say, you, you know, you, you studied theology and you're a minister, but not me. Could I give you three thoughts to think about and then we'll go home? The first thing is this. You don't need to convince people that you're great. You just need to let them know that Jesus is great. Here's what a lot of us are worried about. And, and by the way, isn't it true that sometimes the hardest person to share your faith with is people who are close to you? Your wife or husband, your mom or dad, brother, sister, somebody you're dating. And here's the reason why a lot of us, we're nervous about doing this because, you know, especially the people who've known us the longest, they know the most stuff that we've done. And, and so we're, we're terrified. You know, we're going to go say, hey, you know, I have found the most important person in life. He's changed my life. And they're going to say, look, I know you. And even after you started going to New Spring Church, I know what you did afterward. I know how you screwed up afterward. I know how you still screw up. And a lot of times that closes our mouth because we think, wow, the people that know me best, they know everything about me. But just remember this. You're not trying to tell them that you're the Savior. You're just telling them that you're a sinner who met the Savior. Remember, you're telling them about Jesus. Jesus. And you can, and you know, if they say, well, hey, I know you, and you still let words slip every once in a while, and yeah, I know you, and I know you've done this wrong, just go ahead and admit it and say, yeah, it's true, and I'm sorry, and I wish that weren't true. And God is at work on me, and He's not finished with me yet, but I don't want you to accept me. I want you to accept the person who's changing my life. The second thing, is so important that you and I need to think about today. People can argue with your theology. They can't argue with your story. One of the biggest mistakes, and see, forgive me for breaking a sentence here, but a lot of times people think, well, I don't want to share my faith because somebody could ask questions and I couldn't answer and we get into this big argument. One of the worst mistakes that you and I can ever make is to get into an argument about theology or an argument about God. That goes wrong. The most powerful thing you can ever share with somebody is your story. Because people can argue with your theology. What they can't argue with is your story. One of the, I love this, and in in, in again, I don't have time to give you the whole chapter, but it's in John chapter 9. You can look at this when you go home. It's a great chapter to read. It's a great story. You should understand that people who were who were physically challenged back in Jesus' day, they were basically outcasts. I love how our culture today begins to invest in, in, in men and women who have so much to give, but they deal with some sort of physical challenge, and, and, and we're growing in that area as a culture, and that's a good thing. But back in Jesus' day, if a person was physically challenged, they were outcast. So there was this one guy who was blind from birth. He wasn't educated. Nobody invested any education in him. In fact, the only thing he did from the time he was a little, little fellow was he sat on the side of the road and he begged, and everybody knew him. For years they had seen him. He was blind from birth. And Jesus and the disciples came along, and the disciples, you know, trying to ask Jesus this theological question. And they said, Lord, who sinned? Was it this guy or his parents? Why are religious people so negative? And Jesus said, Neither. God's got a plan. You remember week three? Whatever, you know, whatever's going on, God's got a bigger story. And Jesus said God had a plan. And as a kid, I loved this. It's kind of strange to me as an adult, but as a kid, I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. Jesus healed this guy in a particularly strange way. Spat on the ground, made clay out of the spit, put it on the guy's eyes, and then sent him to wash in the pool. Siloam. And all of a sudden, when he did, he could see. And this guy was excited, and everybody got excited because everybody knew he'd been blind all his life. And all of a sudden, this guy could see, and he's excited. And out come all of Jesus' enemies. Out come all the theologians. Out come all the PhDs of religion. And they don't like Jesus. And so they, <laughs> this is so strange to me. I mean, Jesus has just healed this guy who was blind from birth. And they start criticizing Jesus for healing the guy on the Sabbath. They said, you broke our rule. You can't be good. And so what they, they went on a campaign to try to get this poor guy who now could see. They went on this campaign to get this guy to disrespect Jesus. And here's what they said to him. They said, listen. Don't you give this man the glory, Jesus. He's a sinner. He broke our rule. He's a sinner. Give God the glory. Now look at how the man responded. I love this. He replied, well, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Aren't you glad John Newton put that in Amazing Grace? And he's saying, look, if you want to argue theology, you're arguing with the wrong guy. I just know this. I used to be blind. Now I can see. That is the great thing about your story. People can argue with your theology, but they can't argue with your story. You know, the good news that I have in my life is I'm not what I want to be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. That I came and Jesus took me just as I was, and he's changing me, and he's at work in me. I don't know if my theology's all right, but I do know this. I know Jesus is in my life, and he changed me, and he can change you. He saved me, and he can save you. Nobody could argue with your story. Just tell your story. And then number three, and I'll close with this, everybody is hungry for Jesus. Guys, I'm a shy person by nature, and standing on stage scares me. But I'll tell you what I keep in my hip pocket every time I walk up here. I'm reminded that everybody needs Jesus. Everybody's hungry for Jesus. Whether the person's the most rock-ribbed atheist or a religionist or whatever, everybody is hungry for Jesus. If you're reading some of these stories when you go home today that I've just had a chance to touch, I'd like to encourage you to read my favorite Bible story. It's in John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, Jesus has made a special trip to meet one person. And the person that he's made a special trip to meet thinks her life is over. She's been married five times, divorced five times, and sleeping with a man who will not give her his name. She's got such a bad reputation in the town that she goes to get water in the middle of the day when nobody else will because she doesn't want to see. Remember this, she doesn't want to see anybody, and she doesn't want anybody to see her. Her life is over, she thinks. But Jesus Jesus has actually come into her country just to talk to her. And when he meets her at the well, if you know the story, then you'll know what I'm talking about. If not, you can read it. You'll love it when you read this story. Jesus begins to talk to her, and, and of course, she comes out to the well, and so he starts a conversation about water, and she thinks at first he's talking about physical water, and Jesus was saying to her, listen, if you, would, if you would give me a chance, I would put a spring inside of you. In fact, our church gets its name from that exchange, New Spring Church. Jesus said, if you would let me, I would put a spring of water inside of you that would spring up into everlasting life. And She thought he was talking about water from the well, but what Jesus was really saying to her was this. Listen, Jesus was saying, if you would let me I give you a life. You don't think you have a life today. You think your life is over. You think you've made too many mistakes. You think you've been down too many bad roads. You think you've you've screwed up too much, but Jesus will say, listen, if you would just let me, if you'd just give me a chance, I'd give you a new life. And when she got it, she got it. Now, here's what I find really extraordinary about this woman is that when she really got what Jesus was saying to her, you know what she did instantly? She dropped the water pot when she came to get water in and went straight back to the town that she was trying to avoid. And then here's the first thing that she realized, that the people back in her town needed Jesus that the religion that they had did not satisfy them, that all their self-righteousness that they had when they talked about her and gossiped about her, that that didn't make anybody happy. And she wasn't worried about social convention or anything, but she just put her water pot down and went back to the people of the town and said, come see a man who knew about all the things I did, who knows me inside and out. You know what the most important word to me there is? Come. She didn't say go, she said come. Come means come with me. I'm going back out there, you come with me. Some of you say, Mark, I don't know how to talk to people about Jesus. You can say, come to New Spring. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Every weekend people trust Christ here. You can just say, come with me, because everybody's hungry for what you found. Everybody needs Jesus. Your story will connect somebody with Jesus. And whenever you share your story, you won't be by yourself. God will help you. Let me ask you a question, Christ followers. Who do you need to talk to today? You say, well, I need to get our... I mean, here's the thing. Isn't it true that there are people that are in our lives? We've talked about shopping. We, some of us talked about the NFL draft this week. We've talked about business conditions. We've talked about everything in the world except the one person who really matters more than anybody. Who do you need to talk to today that if you had to go to their funeral next Sunday, you would be glad you talked to today? For some of us, we're going to have to burn up Facebook and get going. Or we're going to have to, you know, send an email or Twitter or message or get on the phone and say, You know, I've talked to you about everything except what's really most important in my life. Let me tell you, a person I love so much who's made such a difference in my life. Everybody needs Jesus. Your story will connect somebody. And when you go to tell that person, you won't be by yourself. The Holy Spirit of God will enable you and empower you. Thank you for listening today. I want to do something right now. It could be that I'm talking to you. And when I tell you about Jesus, you need him. Maybe you've been religious like me. You grew up in church. You knew about him but didn't know him. Or it could be that for the first time you've understood that going to heaven is just a free gift. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't be good enough to get it. It's a free gift. And that gift is given, paid for by Jesus. And anyone who will put confidence in him receive him as Savior and Lord, can be forgiven and adopted into God's family. Hey, if you're here today and you'd like to have a relationship with Jesus, I want to do something right now. I want to pray a prayer with you. And I'll pray it slowly. You can just say these words. The important thing is what you mean in your heart. But I want to lead you in a prayer that says yes to Jesus. Biggest decision you've ever made in your life. Would you pray with me, please? Pray, please. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe you love me unconditionally. I ask you to forgive me and make me God's child. Adopt me into God's family, I pray in Jesus' name.